and welcome to another Round the Rotary uh, podcast uh, with me, your host, J.P. Warren. And thank you everyone for tuning in. I know you have your selection of fine podcasts out there. And uh, I want to thank you all for uh, tuning in on this new Around the Rotary, which we're actually doing remotely, um, not due to COVID, just due to distance. Uh, we got uh, Colton uh, Bingham, a drilling engineer with uh, Devin on the line, but he's calling him from Oklahoma City. But before we begin, I have to give the uh, the intro. The Around the Rotary podcast is brought to you by Capital Petroleum Consultants, CPC specializes in project engineering and well site supervision in all disciplines of the oil and gas industry. Contact us through www.capitalpetroleumconsultants.com to see what CPC can do for you today. And that's it, Colton. Now now it's just us, man. All the formalities are out of the way. Is this your first podcast you've done? This is my first podcast ever. So Oh, really? really? Next, but yeah, and and we have to do a distance. So uh, it's a little different than what I was expecting, but I'm and, excited. And the best part about this podcast is that you've never even heard one episode around the rotary. So there's no, there's no, there's no set of goals. There's no set expectations. It's just, let's just do it. Yeah, let's do it. And I will say you did give me a heads up, but I just failed to follow up on it. So yeah, I'm coming in. I'm coming in cold to this. So we'll see so, where it goes. Well, time out. I mean, you can't, you can't knock, you can't do that. You can't knock the show. You can't knock yourself. I mean, you're also busy with a with pursuing an MBA, right? Yeah. Yeah. Working on MBA. Got one more class after uh, this final I got to take this weekend and uh, we'll see where that takes me. So what, what was, what was the motivation on a, I guess, a pursuit an MBA? I was personal interest. So I, um, I have a mechanical engineering degree from uh, Texas A&M and uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do with it, to be perfectly honest, and uh, fell into the oil and gas industry. We'll get into that here in a bit. But um, anyways, just as I kind of pursued the oil and gas part of it and the engineering part of it, the business side is a huge component, and I just didn't know a lot about it. And I uh, had an opportunity where my company was helping me pay for a little bit of it. So it was like, well, why not? I got the time. Let, let's do it. And uh, I'm going to be honest, like it, it has been pretty rewarding. It, it's better than I thought it was going to be. You know, when I was in school, I did enjoy engineering, but there were days where you're just stressed and right. this is awful. I just want to be done with this. But so far, this whole program has been like every single class, they apply it to real world um, cases and everything. And I've, I've enjoyed it greatly. You know, what's cool about that? It's like, I think if you do pursue a, a master's or an MBA or something like that, I mean, it's not for everyone, number one. But number two, I think if you have some real world, world experience and then you're in the classes, then you can kind of apply that because there's a lot of people that go from, you know, their undergrad to getting their master's, then to getting their PhD. And next thing you know, they're, they're entering the workforce at 32 with zero years of experience, you know, and understanding how the classroom topics apply to the real world. But I think that's great that you actually have that real world and you can kind of tie the, the academics to actual real world. Uh, if I say real world one more time, I think we're just going to start over. But you can actually apply that to real life examples. So I, I I think that's great. And you have, you're done in May, huh? Yeah. So like I said, one more class and I'll be done. So, you know, like I said, I have enjoyed it, but at the same time, I am ready to be done because, you know, when I was in school for my undergrad, that was it. It was just school. And then Everything else was mine, but now it's work. And then when I'm done with work, you got school. So no, I know there's no time off. This, yeah, no time off. So let's get this kicked off, man. I want to hear. About, so, so let me give a brief background. Him and I have a mutual. I guess he's a friend now. So you and I have a mutual friend, and I was trying to talking to him about coming on the podcast, and he said, no, 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 no. I want to get you one of the most interesting people that I know out there, and it was you. All right. So this is why you're here. I want to let's get started on your background. Then I would love to get into kind of so your, your your travels, your travels in South America, you climb in the Himalayan mountains when you had a, an opportunity to. OK, uh, 
and kind of everything in between. So why don't you just get us kicked off, kind of a little background where you're from, where to school, blah, 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 all that stuff. All right. Well, hopefully I don't let you down. Maybe our mutual friend doesn't uh, doesn't have very many exciting other friends. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas and um, played soccer my whole life, really enjoyed it and uh, got the opportunity to go play soccer in college at a small little school called Case Western up in Ohio. And I uh, went up there, had a really good first season, but I don't know if it was just my first experience away from home or it was Cleveland or what it was, but it just didn't, didn't really enjoy it. Didn't really fit in very well there. So I ended up quitting the team, lost scholarship, couldn't afford the school. So it's like, well, going back to Texas and uh, ended up at A&M still played soccer, but just club. And um, the whole way through, I was always uh, getting a mechanical engineering degree when I was at Case and when I was at Texas A&M, I just really enjoyed it. Always knew it's what I wanted to do, but didn't exactly know the job I wanted to do with it. So um, I remember when I was uh, getting pretty close to finishing my uh, my degree, it was my senior year, actually, and we had finals coming up and I had a couple job offers. All of them were about the same. They were all, you know, design work, going to work in Houston, just because close proximity with Texas A&M, you know. A lot and it, of- it wasn't oil and gas. Um, well, kind of, actually. One was actually with Cameron. So it okay. was running like subsea equipment and stuff. So oil and gas, but but way upstream. Right, right, right. The mine portion of it. So um, but either way, it didn't really, it wasn't something I was after. I'm not a petroleum engineer. I wasn't trying to get into oil and gas, but, uh, a buddy comes in and, uh, we're in college, you know, just poor as can be always looking for a free meal. And he's like, Hey, there's this company here called Schlumberger and they've got uh they got a free barbecue going on down the hallway. If you want to go check it out. I'm like, well, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've been studying all day. So it's like, all right, let's do this. So I'm running down the hallway and uh, A&M's a big school, you know, there's plenty of buildings I still to this day haven't been inside. Oh, yeah. So there's a set of double doors at the end of this hallway. And I'd never been in this room in my entire life, seen it, walked past it every single day, didn't know anything about it. And I just kind of kicked open these doors and I was moving pretty quick and I landed on a stage. Like it was, uh, there was an actual presentation going on and the audience was filled with people wearing suits. Oh, God. Up, and there was a lady at the podium and she just turns around because I was behind her. And she's just staring at me just in disbelief what's going on. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm sorry. I thought there was a barbecue here. And everyone just starts laughing. Like everyone in the crowd starts laughing. And, and there was. She was a representative from Schlumberger. And she's like, yes, yeah, there's barbecue. It's after. This is like an information session, whatever. Mm. She's like, why don't you go have a seat? So I go sit down. And later on, there is barbecue that's brought. So I get my plate. And I'm trying to head out the door. And she's like, you know, you actually handled that situation pretty well. Like you have some confidence in you. Like, how about, how about you send me your resume? And I was just like, really, you want, you want a resume from me? And she's like, yeah. And uh, next thing you know, I, I had a job offer and I was headed over to Abu Dhabi in the, in the Middle East. That was your first. So the, the whole, you said Schlumberger and I think that's hilarious because I, yeah, yeah. thank you. I know that, but I was saying, I, it, it's funny you say that. Cause I remember I got my master's uh, in France and I got back and I couldn't find a job. You know, I didn't know, I didn't know anything about the oil field or anything like that. Marketing background, master science, European business, like an MBA for business focused. And I'm in Houston. I'm trying to do this old Aggie network thing. Right. It's like, so I graduated at, at A&M too. And I'm calling all these people. And I called this one, uh, this one uh, lady and at Schlumberger, Schlumberger. And I was like, I was talking to her like, Hey, I really admire your company. Just trying to sell it to her. Right. Be like, you know, looking, for, is there any opportunities? And, and, uh, and, I, and I was like, Hey, yeah, you know, at the end of the conversation, like a seven minute conversation, I was like, Oh yeah, that's so great. And I look forward to, you know, I just, I love Schlumberger and I've always followed y'all and I'm really looking forward to seeing what y'all do. She's like, Oh, okay guy. Anyway, didn't hear back from him, but yes. And it's a, I told my dad that he's like, you know, it's a French company and you lived in France for you a year and a half. There the whole time, yeah. yeah. So 
now I know it's Schlumberger permanently now. So yeah. Yeah. So do I, it's especially, yeah, I think I made the same mistake, but she was a little more forgiving to me. So you're rolling, you're rolling in there for a free meal and get, uh, get some barbecue. Next thing you know, it's like, Hey, shoot us your application. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I handed her the the resume. And then after that, I got a phone call that that's back when oil and gas was booming. They had a little more money back then. So they actually flew me out to Arkansas for an on-site interview where you got to go see a rig. And I'd never seen a rig in my entire life. That was my So first. you were you you were very uh, green to the oil and gas industry. Oh, yeah. I don't have any family in it, nothing. So okay. I had zero expectation. I'm on a rig. It sounded exciting, you know, like everything in the oil and gas industry is big. So when you see it for the first time, you're like, wow, this, this is awesome. Yeah. You know? This is the epitome of engineering. So, um, and it just sounded exciting, potential to go internationally. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do this. And within a week after that trip, she was like, yeah, you've got, actually it was spring break. I still remember that. I was in Las Vegas and um, you're not allowed to have your phone at the tables in Vegas whenever you're gambling. So I get a phone call and I see it's her. So I had to step away from the table. And um, she's like, hey, I'm sorry to kind of put you on the spot like this, but we're going to give you a job offer and you have to choose between five countries r- right now. It's like right now, like I was not in a state to be making this decision. What, how many days are you in Vegas at this point? Uh, this was day number two, which is oh. more than what you need. That's yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so right now you're, you're this, you're at the decline level, just trying yeah, to I'm decline. I'm pretty ready to get out of there, but um, yeah, at the same time, I've got friends around me. We're having a good time and I'm put on the spot and she, she, the choices were one was the U S and it was offshore uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. All right. Was uh, Colombia, India, China, and then Abu Dhabi was the other one. So ultimately, you know, just I'm still like excited, trying to impress, and you know, I, I want to show interesting jobs. So I'm just like, you know, I don't know a lot about these countries. How about you send me to where you think I'm going to get the best experience? Sounds like a great yes. answer, right? Like, yeah, right that was a- the worst thing I could have done. She sent me to Abu Dhabi, which nothing against Abu Dhabi, but as far as like operationally. They run more tools that, you know, they have more activity, just everything about it. You're going to be busy over there. And um, looking back on it, I should have picked Columbia. <laughs> well, looking, well, looking back on that, actually, let's, let's talk about this. So you went from, you said you grew up in Dallas, right? Uh, yeah, Fort Worth. So Fort, so Fort Worth, and you go up to Ohio to start your thing, get kind of homesick, you know, you don't know what it is, kind of homesick. So you come back here and next thing you know, your next, uh, your first actual position is halfway around the world. Yep. Getting further and further away. So how, so how was that for you? I mean, I mean, I guess, you know, college, you know, the, the step from high school to college, not only just like from a school perspective, but just like independence is huge, you know, nothing really prepares you for that. And maybe I just wasn't ready when I went up to case, but yeah, maybe it was, the weather was miserable. Maybe it was Cleveland. I don't know. But um, yeah, I was I was ready to be a little closer to home. But then after being at AM for a while, I mean, even though it's a three hour drive, you know, I never really went home. Yeah. And by the time Abu Dhabi came around, it's like, no, I can I can do this. And I, I got to tell you, when I first got over there, I you know, I never really did get the homesickness. Like I was over there for about two years. And I, I, I mean, I came home plenty of times, but I was never like homesick or it's like right. awful. I need to get back. Like I, I enjoyed it. Honestly, I really had a good time while I was over there. And plus the, the, the expat community over in the Middle East is so, it's such a good community. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can people from everywhere, from Scotland, from, you know, the U S from pretty much everywhere kind of over there kind of. And so it's, it, it does create a, a great expat community because I spent a little time in Saudi as well. So I enjoyed, uh, I mean, it was probably a little bit more boring than Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Abu Dhabi, there's plenty to do. And like you said, um, everyone's in the same boat. So you you automatically have something in common with everybody. And at the same time, they just kind of become your family. You know, they all left home to do the same thing, work in the same industry. So you, you guys naturally come together. And 
it, it was kind of weird. You, you had friends that were, you know, like 55 years old, just yeah. far with them just because that's how it was. You know, you didn't think about it. It was kind of a different world, but really good experience. I, I enjoyed it a lot. So did you know the difference between Dubai and Abu Dhabi? Uh, before I got there, no. I do so now. So <laughs> now do you know? I, I definitely did. So there, there's seven Emirates. One is Abu Dhabi, one's Dubai, for those that don't know. But um, I'll tell you what, the money's actually in Abu Dhabi. Dubai is what everybody thinks of as, you know, glamorous, the nice cars and everything else. But the people that actually have the money, they're they're in Abu Dhabi. That's that's where a lot of the oil and gas is. So, Well, my um, answer... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say my answer to that was the the best way to tell the Dubai and Abu Dhabi apart is people in Dubai don't like the Flintstones and people in Abu Dhabi do. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's kind of a way to remember it for those out I, there. I walked right into that. And I love how your answer, I love how your answer like, well, actually historically speaking, it started this. And this. Nope. <laughs> no, nope, nope. You can't. So, so, okay. So you're over there for two years and, and, and you're, and you're, you're mean, obviously, you know, you got friends that are 55 from all over the globe and, and, are, and you're enjoying it, right? Yeah. So, so, well, then, so then what, then, then talk to me about kind of uh, how, how you kind of wrapped up over there and, and then what happened after that? Yeah. So, um, you know, Abu Dhabi, it was, uh, it, it was a really good place to live. I enjoyed it, you know, really safe city, plenty, plenty of things to do. The problem was, you know, all that excitement that I was looking forward to be on the rigs and everything else. Well, it was a little too much of that. I think my first year there, I had 300 rig days which is quite a bit for one year, you know, Yeah. even to consider the other days aren't just days off. You're, you're, you know, doing a calibration or something like that. So um, anyways, I was just kind of getting worked to death and I was, I was a little unhappy. And a lot of that work over there is uh, nighttime remote stuff. So you're on the rig and uh, you're the only day guy. And then at night there's no other, you, you don't have a counterpart. So I was essentially alone a lot. Right pretty interesting rules about the internet and cameras and things like that. So you're pretty isolated. The only thing really to do is read a book. And after enough of that, you're like, all right, I'm, I'm ready to get out. But uh, anyways, how I eventually ended up leaving was um, there was a buddy that I had from the UK, same boat as me. He was probably two, three years older than I am. His name was Ollie and um, Oliver, Ollie short for Oliver. But um, anyways, he, uh, we, we had a problem on one of our jobs. Um, nothing with what we were doing, just the job itself was complicated. So they sent out an extra guy just because I was working a lot, you know, like everybody, you have those weeks where you're up right. row and whatever else. And uh, so they sent him out there and I had known him before we had, we had met at a bar and had a good time. And every time I was in town, if he was there, we'd hang out and stuff. But um, we were out there for like 40 days together on this one job. And uh, just, he was talking to me about traveling. He had a girlfriend in Brazil, well, a former girlfriend, and he had been to South America quite a few times. So it's like, you know, I've only been to Brazil, but I'd like to see the rest of it. Like, you and I should go sometime, you know, just one of those bullshit. Yeah. That you're like, yeah, oh, dude, definitely. Like, yeah, man. It sounds cool. Go do that. And, um, I remember he left that job and I got sent to another job and, um, I, I was on the rig and I got a phone call from him and he was like, Hey man, I went ahead and, you know, turn in my couple weeks notice. Like, when are you quitting? I'm like, what do you mean? When am I quitting? And he's like, yeah, we're doing this, man. We're going to Southern. And I was like, what? No, I wasn't ready for this at all. And I started thinking about it and it's like, you know, why not? You know, there, there's no reason not to, I'm kind of tired of this. Like, uh, let's do it. I, I got a little money saved up. Let's get out of here. So um, I turned in my couple weeks notice and uh, because we all had work visas, they had to take our passports where the visa was and they had to go cancel that. So I wasn't allowed to work in that time, but that process took about a month. Okay. So I'm paid for a month without working. So I'm just in town with this guy that's about to go on the trip with me. So we really get to know each other. We're going out every night, going to bars, having a good time, doing all the stuff we weren't able to do. 
Right. Like Formula One's really big out there. Went to a lot of those races, all kinds of stuff. And um, he flew back to the UK and I flew back to Texas. And uh, that that was it. So I thought, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm just, you know, we had our fun in Abu Dhabi. That, that's the end of this. So I was back for about a week where I was just uh, hanging out with my family, hadn't seen him in a while. And I get a phone call and he's like, hey man, my flight lands in Dallas tomorrow. Um, are you going to pick me up from the airport? I was like, what do you mean your flight lands in Dallas tomorrow? He's like, yeah, I'm coming from the, like, I'll, I'll come. We'll be in Texas, figure out a game plan. And then we'll head on to South America. And this guy, like, I mean, I knew him, but I didn't really know him. You know, yeah. I only knew him like a month essentially. And it's like, well, shit, man, this is getting kind of real. I wasn't really prepared to go to, I just got back. My family's happy to see me. I wasn't really ready for this, but sure enough, he shows up. And, um, my parents' house was actually under a little bit of construction. They were remodeling a bathroom and some stuff. So we're at my grandma's house. Just didn't have any room. So it's just him, my grandma, myself, just hanging out for about a week. And uh, obviously my grandma's retired and everything. So we're just having glasses of wine every day, eating, <laughs> just hanging out. And uh, it was getting to the point where it was fun, but it was a little sad. It's like, dude, we got to we gotta do something with our lives. We can't be getting drunk on Wednesdays. And with my grandmother. Yeah, with my grandmother. We're like, <laughs> let's do it. So we, we just bought one-way uh, plane tickets to Costa Rica. Figured that was, first of all, Costa Rica was one of the cheapest flights. I know that's not in South America, but it was close. And um, it, it was cheap. And uh, yeah, we just bought one-way plane tickets, left the next day. And that was it, man. Started off on the journey. I love, I love the peer pressure to action move by this guy, Ollie. Like oh. number one, he's sitting there with sharing a pint with you. He's like, "Oh, we should totally do this." You know those pie in the sky conversations. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, let's do that. Next thing you know, hey man, can you pick me up at the airport? What? Like it felt like it was a lot of peer pressuring, but in a good way. Oh man, that's the story of this guy. Honestly, I wouldn't have done half the things I've done in my life without this guy. But and most of them were getting me in trouble. But um, yeah, no, he's just super energetic, really outgoing, always wants to do something, and I just went along for the ride. To be honest, like. I just didn't say no. It's like, yeah, why not, man? Let's do it. So what was, I mean, what was your game plan? Are you just a one way, first off, a one way ticket is very kind of, that's an open book. That's kind of like, it's, that's, that was the commit. a lot of people like traveling and knowing when they're going to be back. I know, okay, I'm going to be here for seven days a week or 10 days. And I'll be back in my home. And I was like, that one way ticket though, that's kind of a commitment to be like, Hey man, whatever life throws at you, you're just going to roll with it. Yeah. And, you know, I will say Costa Rica, it was pretty easy to buy another flight just to come home. So uh, that was kind of the story of the trip is like everything, we, like the next step, every single step of the way was harder than the step before. And if you had just started the trip on the last step, you would have been like, no way, that's impossible, you know, but because we started where we did, every little thing was just incrementally harder in a way to where by the end of it, it's just like nothing faced you. You're just like, ah, that's fine. Well, yeah. tell me, tell me about this experience. So you're, you're, you land in Costa Rica, one way ticket. Yep. So we land in Costa Rica, obviously the weather's amazing. We just hang out on the beach for a while, you know, just enjoying our time. And, uh, we knew that we wanted to buy a vehicle and, uh, something just to get around with because otherwise you're just stuck, right? You got your backpack, you're taking buses all over the place and you're hitting just the, the gringo trail, essentially right. all the big cities. And it's like, man, I want to get off this trail. Like, let's go do our own thing. Like, let's get a car. So we started researching a little bit. And in Panama, there's this little sliver of land, which actually connects to uh, South America called the Darien Gap. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, but it's completely impassable. I, yeah, okay. there's roads that go through it. Um, th there's like drug cartels and all kinds of stuff down there. The FARC, you, you don't want to go through there. Okay. And so basically, you're either flying or you're taking a boat. So it's like, well, I guess we're not buying a car until we actually get to South America. So um, when we were in Panama, we actually found this guy 
that he just sails from Panama to Colombia, just shuttling people essentially. And so we just got on with him and got on his catamaran and he just took us five days across the ocean, just into Colombia. And uh, that's when we really started looking for the car. Is and so you just you just found this guy just talking to locals or just trying to find out how he can get past this this war zone, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it wasn't illegal by any means. I mean, you're allowed to enter by boat. It was just uh, how do we want to get there? Do we want to spend you know x amount of dollars on a on a plane ticket, or do we want to spend that money on paying this guy to take us sailing and you stop along a couple islands on the way, have a good time, like swimming, so catching cool. some lobsters for dinner? It was good, man. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a really good time. That, that's the only way to do it if anyone ever gets the opportunity. <laughs> that's the, only, that's, the only way to do it, and this is advice right now from Colton, the only way to do it is just get a one-way ticket and figure it out from there. Yeah, honestly, that's it. I mean, it, it made it more exciting. And then, honestly, after the first couple of weeks, you stop stressing about it. You're just having fun, and it's like, yeah. who cares? Like, I don't have an agenda. It doesn't matter where I'm going tomorrow. And You're not tied to your phone. You're not tied to meetings. Oh, yeah. You're not tied no to phone, outlook. Time, nothing. Yeah. yeah. And um, honestly, we've just moved whenever we were tired of it. Like it, we never really had an agenda like, hey, let, let's spend a week here. Then we're going to go here. It was just like, no, man, this place I was planning on driving through. But now that we're here, this is awesome. We're staying indefinitely, you know, like we're never leaving this place. But um, yeah, a lot of it was the people, you know, you meet some good friends and they all have travel plans as well. So they end up leaving slowly. And so by the time everybody's gone, you're like, all right, it's time for us to move on. And you just kind of keep repeating that process all the way down. Just make camp down the road. Yep, exactly. But but I mean, with that mindset of like, okay, well, we've been in Costa Rica for a couple of weeks. We're now in Panama. Da, da, da. Like having that mindset, okay, now it's time to buy a car. That's kind of, that also, I feel like that's also kind of planting the seed. Like, hey, we're going to be here a little bit longer than the the, the three, three to seven weeks that we initially thought. Like oh, that's, yeah. a, that's a commitment right there. Yeah. So, so we didn't have the car at this point. So still it felt a little safe. And this is what I'm talking about. Incrementally, it gets harder. So now we've sailed. We've done all this stuff. We're in Colombia now. Like things are just... How was Columbia? Uh, Columbia is amazing. The people are really interested in you. They want to come practice English with you. They want to talk to you. Uh, we were down. I'm a big soccer guy. Yeah. Uh, we were down there. The Colombian uh, national team was playing. So, you know, we're wearing jerseys and they, they shut down all the grocery stores and they set up all the chairs inside. So you're just in a grocery store packed with a bunch of people and they have televisions where they're playing the game and you'll just like flag someone working there. It's like, hey, go get me, you know, a drink or go get me a bag of chips, whatever. And they'll go get, so you're like, it's like being in a bar, except you're in a grocery store. So your selection is much wider. You can just order whatever you want. And uh, no, it was great, man. I, we had a really good time. And, and, that's had, the thing, and, that, and that's the thing that I'm not to interrupt, but I mean, just, just, just people that haven't gone over. I mean, you know, people act like, Oh, you know, I'm a huge, you know, A&M fan or, uh, you know, Steelers or Buffalo, whatever that is. I mean, yeah, I feel like people are super fans here, but down there, that is their life. Oh, I man. mean, people, it's, yeah. Globally, I mean, in a global realm, I mean, whether it's, you know, France, South America, whatever, f- football as they, is, is huge over there. Oh, yes. Which I fell right into. I you know, I already loved it. And oh, so yeah. He wasn't the biggest soccer guy, but yeah, sure enough, a couple weeks down there, we're all wearing the jerseys, you know, walking around the streets. Like, oh, it you get into it. Last. But, so, um, so you're in Columbia. The food was good. Yeah, food was good. Um, we, we actually took a little time when we first got there. It's like, hey. You know, we've struggled a little bit at the start of the trip just with Spanish. None of us were proficient in Spanish. And it's like, why don't we actually sit down and take a couple lessons while we're here? So we, we stayed in Cartagena for uh, about two weeks, took some lessons. We're just, we were living with a family while we were there that does things like that for people trying to learn Spanish. That way you're completely immersed. And um, it helped us quite a bit. I know it's only two weeks, but 
I mean, when you're really just trying to buy gas, buy food, things like that, two weeks is almost more than enough than what you need to really just kind of get by. Right. We wanted more than that, but it's, it was going to take time. So um, in the meantime, we're also looking for cars, trying to, you know, hey, is there, I, don't, I don't even know how to do this. How, what, like legally, how do you buy a car in another country? What kind of car do we even want? You know, the roads in Colombia are fine, but once we get to, you know, the Andes and everything, it's going to be mountain passes. Do we need like an SUV? And uh, luckily we actually found a country right next door, Ecuador, there were these uh, American guys that had bought this uh, like souped up Mitsubishi L300 um, that was like an overlanding vehicle. So it was like a little camper van, but it had low range. So it had, you know, like four wheel drive, you could climb up a mountain on it, but it had two beds in it, it had a little refrigerator. So think like- mini perfect. Yeah, think minivan, so not camper van, think minivan, but on steroids. So I was like, man, this is like a dream come true. This is perfect. So um, right around that same time we were talking to these guys, um, my buddy and I, we were very guilty of this the whole way through is, man, we'd go out to bars and you'd come out and the street food was amazing. You just come outside. It's three o'clock in the morning. There's vendors everywhere selling you whatever you want, fried cheese, meat, whatever it is. And they had these meat sticks is what my buddy and I always called them. And every single time we had, you come out, you're a little drunk. They have meat sticks. That's what you want. Like I want this right now. I'm getting one. I don't care how dangerous this is. Every single time we did this, we got sick. When I say sick, I mean sick, sick, like really bad sick. So we went to the hospital when we were in Columbia and uh, the guy was like, hey, I know exactly what you have. We're not really going to be able to treat this here. You need to you need to cross the border like you need to get out of here. And we're like, really? And he's like, yeah. So we went in, bought a plane ticket over to Quito in Ecuador, which is where the van guys were anyway. So it kind okay. of Got off the plane straight to the hospital, big shot in our ass. And man, just, I don't know what that was. I don't know what we had, but instantly better. Just, wow. yeah. And it was like $10 or something for the, for the whole shebang, you know, to go get in a room, hospital, stay in a bed. Someone comes in, gives you a shot, 10 bucks. You're out, ready to go. So it's like, this is. Well, question, question, <laughs> looking back on it, would you get the meat stick again? Well, there were multiple instances after this that I did get meat sticks. And perfect, I did, yeah. I love that. I love that. Okay, all we'll right. Get so to, we'll get to a bad one. There was there was a bad meat stick incident, <laughs> much later in the future. But well, yeah, this doesn't sound like a good meat stick incident. So if yeah, if, yeah. if they progressively the meat stick incidents get worse, I'm all in. Let's hear this. Yeah. So yeah, that, I mean, hopefully my immune system's just rocking and rolling now after all this stuff. <laughs> But um, anyways, met up with these American guys. They had the car and uh, man, this thing was perfect. And uh, what were were they doing down there? So they actually bought the car off some Czechoslovakian guys that had shipped it over from the Czech Republic a long time ago, long time ago. And um, they were just they had quit their jobs in the U.S. and just decided they they were doing what we were doing, essentially. And so it was kind of perfect, except they had gone the other way and uh, they were ready to go home. So we met them on the north side of uh south america and they started from the south gotcha gotcha i'm up so uh they were ready to go home and uh it was just kind of the perfect handoff and uh there was a little bit of a trust thing where it's like oh man this car like it's just gonna break down how's this gonna work and on top of that you know we have to get it was eight thousand dollars how much we were paying for this car which was definitely a ripoff but whatever it was for the experience you know what it's it's, it's a ripoff but at the same time you also got a place to sleep you're not spending that on hotels i mean if yeah, if, yeah okay yeah, no, very true. And we're cooking in it, living in it, getting off the beaten path. But and it was four grand out of my pocket, four grand out of his. But um, anyways, just to make it a little more trustworthy, we uh, we 
we actually, we bought it from them, did the wire transfer and everything. And then they rode around with us for like two weeks in the band, just the four of us hanging out, just going on little <laughs> adventures together. And uh, yeah, good, good time until the handoff eventually came where it's like, all right, guys, you're out of here and uh, we're going to head south. Yeah. Thanks for the van. And we, we still kind of keep in touch with those guys, send them pictures of the van and you know, here's what we did. What did you guys do? And then the guy we ended up selling it to like months later, uh, we try to keep in touch with him too. We, we've kind of lost touch, all of us, but he was sending us pictures. So Juan Sanchez, that was the name of the van and it, it lives on. It lives Juan on. Sanchez. Yeah. Juan Sanchez lives on everyone's heart forever. Yeah. But I, lo- I love that. How it's just like, it's just a random van that obviously has so many miles and so many different stories behind it. And it's just being kind of like passed on to these. And you guys are still like kind of keeping these circles. Oh yeah. And man, everybody put work into it. I mean, obviously when it was new and all the modifications they made were pretty awesome, but then the American guys had a breakdown on them plenty of times. In fact, while we were buying it from them, we blew a head gasket and that's a big job. That's taking the engine apart. That's, oh, you know, God. shop. Yeah. And, uh, we waited together while it was getting fixed and everything. Cause that was, that was when it was a little timid, like, Oh God, are we getting hosed on this thing? Are they just taking our money and running knowing they had a head gasket problem, but now they stuck around and uh, we got it all fixed and it was like $250, like fix a head gasket, complete engine tear down, like unbelievable. That's it? Yeah, it was nothing. So uh, put it back together and man, from then on out, we were breaking down all over the place. Just random things would go out. Um, we had locking hubs. One of those broke down, just electrical issues, everything you can imagine. And you're always in the smallest, most inconvenient place every single time it happens. That's how it works. Yep. Actually, are, are you familiar at all with the Bolivian salt flats? You know, that like iconic. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. The icon. Yeah. Yeah. Just that flat as far as you can see salt flat with sometimes you get some water out there and the reflection between the sky yeah. and everything else. Well, we were about to do that and like drive it ourselves. And that part of it is really like the first hour. And then after that, you're crossing from Bolivia into Chile and it's like a four day like trip at like 4,000 meters. You're at altitude, the car's having trouble because it's, you know, not getting enough oxygen. You're having trouble because you're not getting enough oxygen and the whole thing's off-road. It's not flat as a pancake like that. Most of it's like, you know, dirt roads that are right. beat up. So uh, pretty much every time a buddy drove the cars when it broke down. So we start off going uh, onto the salt flats and he was just hauling ass because it's flat as a pancake, but then it immediately turned into the dirt road and the suspension just did not handle this bump that we hit at high speed. And we just broke our front suspension. And uh-huh. um, it was like, well, shit, man, we've got three more days of like limping through the desert here. And you're so, literally, and you're literally in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. There, there's nothing around here. So we actually decided, you know, we're going to cut our losses and turn around and just limped back. There's a tiny little town, but there's, I mean, not paved roads, nothing like it is ghost town, wild West stuff. And uh, we found a welder out there who just like looked at it and he's like, man, this is never going to be the same, but I'll, I'll do it. And it might get you across, but you're going to need to get a new spring eventually. So he welded it up. We come, you know, flying out again. It's like, yes, we're back on track. This is perfect. I'm driving this time. No problems. And uh, the very next day, it's his turn to drive. We rotated every single day. First thing he'd been driving 10 minutes and um, sure enough, hits another bump, shatters that spring again. So this time we're like a couple of days into the journey and it's like, well, we're, uh, we're, we're committed now. Like we're, we're limping through the desert now. So that was pretty miserable actually. And we were actually pretty scared. We were going to run out of fuel. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, how much fear was on that? I mean, you're in the middle of this, this, this country that it's y'all's first time being there. You're in these salt flats. You have a, a village welder welding up the, uh, the axle. I mean, how, I mean, were, was it kind of, uh, was it scary? 
So we had broken down quite a few times before this had happened. So it wasn't too scary, but at the same time, it was like, well, what was scary is four days, right? To get across this desert. Sorry, my dog's whining at me. No worries. Um, but uh, we had two fuel tanks. We had the primary, which came with the vehicle. And then the guys that had modified it, put on extended fuel tanks. So our range was like 550 miles or something. Like it was pretty okay. But at the same time, when you're limping along, just barely moving because your suspension's broken, you're just, the car's on running, you know, you're just burning fuel for no reason. So um, we were actually starting to get worried about that. And um, where you finish, you actually enter Chile at the top of like a mountain. You're at like 4,000 meters or whatever. And then you hit tarmac, really nice paved road. And you can see this town in Chile called San Pedro de Atacama. And it is... um, it's probably at like 1000 meters elevation and you can just see it. And it's this perfect straight road, just flying down a mountain, going into town. And that's where you end up crossing the border. Okay. I'm looking and at it right cool. now on my phone. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go check it out. It's a really cool town. But, um, either way we, uh, before we got there, it's like, man, we're not going to make it. Like we need gas of some kind, but there's nothing out here. And we see this like fire burning on the side. There's volcanoes everywhere. And there's like fire burning on the side of one of these volcanoes. And then we figure out it's like a mining company. I don't know what they're after, sulfur or something. Who knows? And it's like, well, man, they've got excavators, all kinds of stuff over there. Let's go. They're going to have fuel. Like, let's just go ask them. So we go over there and the guys are like, what are you doing out here? And um, we're we're trying. They all speak Spanish, obviously. And we're trying our best. It's like, no. We can, this is a gasoline powered car, not a diesel car. And they're like, yeah, yeah, this is gasoline. You'll be fine. It's like, okay. So we siphon some into our truck or our van and uh, put it into the spare uh, fuel tank. And so by the time we hit the tarmac, I'm on empty and I'm the one driving at this point. It was my day to drive. And I'm like, Hey man, I'm going to hit the pump and we're going to swap from the fuel tank from the rear into the front. And we're going to take that, you know, hopefully good fuel from those guys and put it in the car. So we start going down the mountain and um, it, there's all these, you know, out of control truck runaway things just because it's such a steep road, you know, with it, yeah. where it gravel where it'll just stop you in case your brakes go out. And uh, we're flying down this thing and I'm looking out like the side mirror because our rear view mirror, the car was so modified, you couldn't see out the back of it. I'm right. looking out the side mirrors and I'm like, dude, there is a ginormous black smoke cloud coming out the back of our car. Like what is going on? And um, our car was pretty much on fire. And I was like, oh shit. So we stop on the side of the road. Um, brakes are fine. We don't have to use the runaway thing or anything, but we stop and we're trying to figure out what's going on. And we start looking at it and we had put diesel in our gasoline powered car. So it's, it's coming out of like every seam. It's pretty much cleaning our engine in a way, but it's like, oh man, like we're both petroleum or we're not petroleum engineers, but we work in the petroleum industry. We know better. Like, come on, we <laughs> know the difference between diesel and gasoline, but, um, Anyway, so it's like, well, what are we going to do? And we're, we're just sitting there and it's like, well, this is a huge hill. Why don't we just roll down to the town? Like, just hop back. Just, like, coast. just leave the engine off. We'll just, we'll be fine. There's no cars, like whatever. We got all the runaway truck things. Like well, we're going to be fine. So we start going and the car gets up to like 80 miles per hour pretty quick. You know, we're, we're, we're coming down this thing and um, I'm starting to hit the brakes a little because there's a couple little turns and the brakes are not working. The brakes, the car has to be on for the brakes to work. So oh my God. You know, yeah, but it's a manual transmission, right? So like I just pop it into like the highest gear and then the car jumps on at speed and then I start braking, but it's still diesel. So then the smoke starts coming out the back again. So then I turn the car off and we're like repeating this process. And I'm like, dude, like this is not sustainable. Like we're going to destroy the car doing this. So he just opens his door uh, as we're coming down this mountain and uses his leg to just like hold it open as we're driving. And to I, slow, I to slow you all down. I shit you not. It slowed us down like 15 miles an hour. 
I was like, you gotta be kidding me. So I opened my door and we're both just like holding the doors open. And man, we, we were cruising at like 45 miles per hour down this hill with both the doors open. I can imagine just kind of being on, I can imagine just being on the side of the road and and looking at this Mr. Bean naked gun looking flying down with two dudes with the doors open. Like who the hell are these cats? Like what the hell's wrong with these guys? Like what a scene. Okay. So, all right. So you're figuring out how to slow down the van by kicking the doors open, which is, I love it. I love that move, by the way. Very safe. Very smart. I'm the smart person I ever knew in my life. He has a master's (laughs) degree in engineering. He's working on his PhD right now. He was a smart guy, but he did a lot of dumb stuff. As he, as he always said, he hid his intelligence very well. I love that though. All right. So, so you guys are coasting in and you're in, where are you in uh, Chile now? Yeah, we're in Chile, but we haven't officially, we've officially crossed like the border, but we haven't checked into the country. That's what that town is. It's like your first stop where you're at. What what town is it called again? uh, San Pedro. San Pedro. Okay. That's yeah, so right, on the side right there. It's it's the driest desert in the world, like really beautiful place. But um, anyway, so we roll into the town and it's like a typical checkpoint, like it's a border crossing, right? And uh, we stamp our passports, we do everything you're supposed to do. And then they're like, all right, go and move. And it's like, uh, no, you saw us rolling in here, man. We're not moving. Like car sitting there, where's your mechanic? And they're like, oh my God. So we had to get a mechanic out to the border and like, you know, siphon all the fuel out, clean all the lines, put the correct fuel in it. And we were up and running again. Like, I love how you're siphoning fuel like it's a 1980s action flick. I have tasted fuel so many times in my life now. It's unbelievable. Okay. It, the, the way the extended tank worked, like there was no good way to get it out. Like you were dipping a hose in and sucking it out. There was there was no other way to get it. That's that's so that's so <laughs> axle fully like 80s. I love it. Yeah, so, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna die young. I'm gonna get All right. So from the so, from so, so, all right, let's let's update everyone right now listening. So from Costa Rica to uh, Panama, to taking the boat over to Colombia, to coming down to Ecuador. Skipped, way- I skipped Peru, but we went to Peru. Then we went to Bolivia. Now we're in Chile. And how, so what, what's the what's the time frame of landing in uh, Costa Rica till now? Oh, man, we're probably three months in at this point. Three months in? Yeah, okay. so we were, we were weathered at this point. So I could t- <laughs> it yeah, sounds it like you were weathered. Like the car breaking down the way it did was fine. Like that was just a normal day with Juan Sanchez. <laughs> It's like, very, it's very Mad Max. It's like, let's just survive. Let's yeah. keep the car going. Let's survive. Let's get gas and survive. To, to be fair though, like I'm making it sound a little cooler than it was because you got to realize like the roads up there were horrible. And every time you were driving anywhere, there was somebody else in the exact same situation you were just in. Someone on the side of the road, their car's broken somehow they need a lift. So we were always stopping and giving people rides. And the thing about the van is the way, the way the windows were tinted, we'd always stop You'd have some guy walking up and he's about to get in the back of the van or whatever. And then he gets in and he looks at us and he's just like, oh my God, what have I just done? Like, cause he was not expecting me and Ollie to be picking him up off the side of the road, you know? And just, it's like, they're in a spaceship just looking around like, what is this? And it's like, Hey man, no, it's fine. Like we'll take you into town. Cause we needed help all the time too. You know, there were always people stopping on the side of the road, trying to help us. Like we, everyone was trying to get through it together. Like the, the roads up there were, were challenging and the stops were few and far between. Yeah, I can imagine like you picking someone up. They thank you. They open your van. Next thing, there's like two beds and like a fridge. Like, what? Where's the video cameras? What's going on here? What's, oh, yeah, exactly. What kind of van is this? You know, you say that, but you would not believe how many people were willing to get in the van. There was never a question. It was always like, especially like uh, travelers, just like us from wherever Europe or America, wherever. And um, they'd always be like, "Yeah, I'll get in." The, just it could be a girl traveling by herself. She's like, "Yeah, I'll ride in the van with you." And it's like. 
nowhere else in the world would this work like this. You know, like, why is there so much trust among travelers? It's just because everyone's kind of in the struggle together. People are trying to get somewhere. They need yeah. help. They, they, they already put themselves out in the world and they know how to take care of themselves. Well, I mean, you're not relying on AAA. You're not relying on Uber. You're not relying on, you're kind of relying on yourself and also the relationships that you're making on the road. Yeah, no, for, for sure. And, you know, I will say like, so we, we met a couple, it was this guy and this girl from uh, Ireland, just an amazing couple. The guy was working on a PhD in philosophy. So you can imagine some of the. Oh, great conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And he just always asks you some question that would just blow your mind and you have to sit there and think about it. But um, anyways, they traveled with us in the van for probably a couple months looking back at it just off and on. Like we, you know, they wouldn't sleep in the van with yeah. us. Yeah. Stay in a hostel or hotel or whatever, but going from one point to the next, we were just traveling around with this couple, like really good people. And um, anyways, so like I said, they're both from Ireland and, and we were in a, <laughs> we were in a bar one time and uh, they, they had full sleeve tattoos, both of them. And they had just got, or one of them had just gotten a new tattoo on a shoulder. So tattoos right. were on the mind. Okay. Everyone was talking about tattoos. And oddly enough, this guy, we were in Bolivia when, when this actually happened, this guy comes in and um, he, he's a tattoo artist from Bolivia. He's just a local guy and he's got like this portable kit and he brings it into the bar and he's just giving tattoos to people who want tattoos at this bar. Which like is, you, buy, you buy a drink, you get a free tattoo. Well, it's not a free tattoo. You've got to pay the guy. But the point, it's like the shadiest thing you've ever seen in your life. So um, at this point, like I was telling you, every step was incrementally harder than the one before. So we kind of had a motto going, which was always unprepared. Like <laughs> whatever, whatever the situation was, we were always unprepared for the situation. So um, anyways, my buddy was uh, heavily hitting on this girl. And um, for some reason, he thought it would be very impressive to her if he went and got always unprepared tattooed on his ass just right there at the bar. And I, I was a mess. Like I, I had a couple of drinks in me and I was just like, dude, don't do it. It was his first tattoo. He didn't have any tattoos. Like, this is stupid. What are you doing? It's permanent. Like, don't do this. And um, there happened to be another girl there that was, uh, you know, really encouraging me as well. And then the Irish girl we had traveled with, the girl part of the couple, she's like, you know, he's going to get a tattoo. You should get a tattoo, like commemorate the trip. You both get it, whatever. And I'll make you a deal. If you get a tattoo, and you come to Ireland, I will get a tattoo of you on my ass. That, that's what she said. I okay. was like, what? Like, that's, that's a deal you've, you've got to do. And we pinky promised on it, and that's unbreakable. So That's completely unbreakable, by the yeah. way. International law. No, absolutely. So <laughs> I actually ended up with uh, por que no, I have, which means why not in Spanish, tattooed on my ass because of that. Well, at a bar. At a bar in Bolivia. In a por- with a portable tattoo kit. Yeah. And it's still there. It was a very permanent tattoo for how portable the tattoo. Well, look, 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 we, look, uh, we don't have to were you happy with the quality of it? You know, it actually looks really good. And I was concerned there were grammatical errors, but uh, it came out really well. And I got to tell you, since getting this tattoo and like telling people the story, um, I know I now personally know three other people, four other people actually that have gotten it because of me getting this tattoo. Wait, wait, like, wait, like getting that tattoo, porque no? Yeah, getting the exact same one. So as an example, years later, when I was uh, working two weeks on, two weeks on, still in the oil and gas industry, um, I went to Nicaragua just for two weeks with a buddy I, w- I met at my work. And we were down there and uh, we were telling the story about the tattoo. He always wanted a tattoo. And we just went out that night and he got it on his bicep. Poor Kano tattooed right there. And uh, poor Kano has two question marks, one in the front, one in the back, right. upside down or whatever. And um, 
I, he, he kept saying porque, like one word porque. And I was like, no, 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 that's not what we want. Cause that means because no, we wanted why not. So poor space K space, no. And uh, so I, I, you know, I was like pretty happy with myself. It's like, man, they almost screwed up your tattoo, but I caught it. Don't worry about it. Next day we woke up and I was looking at his tattoo. And I was like, man, there's something wrong with this. Like, I do not know what it is, but I can't, your tattoo is not right. I don't know what it is. There's something wrong. And I figured it out. Not only was his question mark upside down, it was inverted. Like you were looking in a mirror. So the guy had just like screwed up an upside down question mark, which kind of makes it even funnier. But um, anyways, yeah, he, he's one of them. And a couple other people have gotten it too, since I got it. So, okay. So let's, I mean, let's talk about the acceptance on getting this tattoo. So this Porque no tattoo, I kind of feel like you got your blood, sweat and tears in this. You got four grand in this. You're, 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 you got these, these village welders. You got the soft flats and you're opening the car. I felt like the, the bar does y'all deserved the, uh, the, the, the tattoo. The, oh, yeah. I, I felt the, very fitting as well. Why not? You know? Yeah. So I kind of feel like a little two week trip. I mean, it's, Kind of like uh, you get the same tattoo after two weeks, or I feel like it should kind of should be. I feel like you have to earn that tattoo. Yeah, that's what did, I'm saying. And everyone that has it did earn it. I will okay, say, that's what I'm asking. Price. Yep. That's what it's not. It's not a. It's not a trend. It's not a fad. I mean, people still are earning this porque no tattoo, right? Everyone that I know that has it earned it, but uh, I can't speak for everybody. That's no, no, no that's fine. I'm just making sure it's, it's your circles. They that you're okay yep. with them getting it. No, I, I was okay with it, but um, yeah, it's uh. It's uh, still with me. It's the only tattoo I have. <laughs> Do you have any? Are you are you inclined to get any more tattoos? I'm not you know, like I never really wanted one. I'm not against them or anything. It's just I don't know. I'm a pretty skinny guy. Never looked. Man, I'm good. the same way, man. I don't have any tattoos. My wife has some, and I'm, I, like my brother had a bunch. My sister has, but like I just don't have any. Number one, I cannot make a decision. Okay, like when it comes to like ordering appetizers, it's like oh shit, I don't know. I'm lost. I don't know what to get. Like I can't imagine like putting some, but I feel like. A trip like that, and there's a dude at a bar doing tattoos, and you're getting pre pressure by three people and and Ollie. You, I feel like that absolutely. you had to. Do it. I mean, you didn't. You never even had a choice. You had to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, anyways, I'm gonna fast forward to the story real quick. So the next year after South America's done, I've started working again. Like my life's going on. Um, I went to Ireland and I met up <laughs> with that couple and uh, went to a tattoo shop. And I wanted my face, you know, like a character caricature or something of me like because she had she had pinky promised me right about giving yeah. it yourself but um she when she said it she was like no 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 what i meant was your name i will get your name and so i met her halfway and i'm like okay that's fine and we got it all stenciled and everything but then i intervened and i was like no 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 you don't have to do it like so she didn't actually end up getting it but i just wanted to see if she was going to put her money where her mouth was but, and she was yeah and she absolutely was and then they just you know kind of took me around for two weeks showed me around ireland and uh man like he a lot of the friends I met while I was in South America, I still keep in touch to to this day. I met them in other parts of the world. Like it's just, it, isn't, it was, that all, isn't that awesome? Kind of having that global network of friends that yeah, they, it, like pings. Yeah. And you never know where they're going to be in like, you know, three years, they might move over here. They might move to you know Singapore or wherever. And like, it's, it's, I love having that like global network of, uh, of, of friends that you meet. Yeah. And I, I love how you met them too, not through the oil industry, but also just, just getting out there on your own. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, America's a big place. So anytime anyone flies over here, they're like, Hey, I'm in Michigan. You want to come see me? And it's like, oh, I know kind of far, but, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I've made an effort like Ollie actually, he's like I said, he's working on his PhD. I forgot the school he's at, but Michigan university is a sister school or their partner somehow, or there was a conference. I don't know, but he, uh, it was last year. He actually came and uh, I just flew up there just to see him. Cause it'd been a couple of years since I'd seen him. And it's like, man, it's, it's been too long. 
I think you know, that's our next. And like I've been to Iceland with him. He was in Ireland with me as well. Like I've I've seen him all over the place. I think after going to an experience like that, I mean, you're you're bound. You got to stay in touch with. Them. I mean, you, oh yeah. Regardless, y'all are staying in touch. Yeah, and it's tough. You know, he is like I said from the UK, and you don't you don't can't just travel all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're we're doing our damnedest to keep it alive and well. So how did so from the tattoo on your ass? How did this uh, trip kind of conclude, and you get back in kind of an oil and gas industry? So. You know, while we were in South America as well, it wasn't just all let's go to the bars and party and do all this stuff. South America is amazing. I mean, just beautiful scenery, Machu Picchu, all the highlights that you've heard of down there. And I also kind of got into mountaineering a little bit. Um, the first and the third closest points to the sun are actually in Ecuador. It's called Cotopaxi. It's the third closest point to the sun. Chimborazo okay. is the closest point to the sun. They're both volcanoes. And you think Everest that has a highest elevation, but when I say closest to the sun, it's because the earth is not a perfect sphere. So basically, yeah. And we're on the equator, right? So we're on the fattest part though. Um, you're, you're closest to the sun, but it's still high. It's like 20,000 feet. Or, I was, I was, I was joking when I said it's flat. Oh, it's flat. Yeah. And, well, yes. And fat and well, thick. On top of these mountains, you, you'd have your answer. <laughs> but, um, Anyway, so we did kind of turn it into like a little bit of an adventure trip and we, we climbed Cotopaxi successfully. We tried to do Chimborazo, but weather kind of canceled us out while we we're on the mountain. And um, as we started going south, um, we ended up in Mendoza and we had to make a decision right there where it's like, okay, this is kind of midway through the continent. Um, either we commit and we say we're going all the way to the tip and going through Patagonia for the next like six months, or we just say, hey, this is it. Let's ho- head over to Buenos Aires and sell the car. And, you know, we had done a bunch of climbs, whitewater rafting, like ran with the bulls. We had done like all kinds of stuff. And it's like, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of over it. I don't know if I want six months in the mountains right now. I'm kind of tired. Like yeah. let's, let's head over to uh, Buenos Aires and see if we can sell this car. So that's kind of how it ended. We, we went over there and stayed for about two months actually in Buenos Aires, rented an apartment while we were there just because it's a city. We weren't going to live in the van, you know, just staying yeah. a little and, and man, it was, it was fun. That was more of the vacation part of the trip versus, the adventure part of the trip versus struggling to travel yeah. part of the trip luxury at that point going out to con like argentina is awesome just good nightlife uh, lots of concerts steak and wine every night like living like a king it was it was a lot of fun and so you were down there for how many months now i uh, see when we ended up leaving it was six months six months and that's still a lot i mean that's a lot of time i mean especially when you're roughing it the way y'all are yeah and thanksgiving was also coming up which didn't really mean a lot to ollie but for me it was like yeah i haven't you know, I kind of just saw my family and then you showed up and then I left for another six months. Like it's about time I go home. And the previous holiday I'd missed as well. Like the previous Thanksgiving and Christmas, I was on a rig for those times. So it's yeah. like, I haven't had the holidays with my family in forever. Like it's, it's time to go home, man. Like I got to get out of here. So uh, we, we, ironically, we found a guy from the Czech Republic that we sold the van to. So full circle found another guy. It's like, Hey, Juan Sanchez, he's home now. Ended up selling to that guy for like, I think it was like three thousand dollars total so it took a huge loss on the van but man it was worth it you know just out of our pocket lost about 2500 bucks each like but for all the cool little towns we got to stop in and everything we got to saw see it was it was worth it you know you can't put a price on that i mean how what juan did for y'all is you can't beat that you know right. what I mean? I mean yeah yeah if you take a loss you take a loss so you pursued your so you got a little did you just get into mount mountaineering down there yeah. So when we, uh, when we flew into Quito, I'm going to make this up. I don't remember what it was, but Quito is at like 3,500 feet or 4,000 or sorry, 3,500 meters or 4,000 meters high. It's high, okay. high elevation. And, um, while we were up there, it was, you know, tough to breathe, but you get acclimated. 
And so while we were there, it's like, well, man, we're acclimated now. We've been here a couple of weeks. Like there's these really cool volcano, like the prominence of this volcano is it's like the most iconic volcano you've ever seen in your life. Just that perfect, like Kilimanjaro style. Volcano. Right. And it's the third closest point to the sun. It's like, we've got to go climb that. Like we let's go do this. So again, always unprepared. So we go do this thing and it's like blizzard conditions. And we had a guide with us, get to the top, can't see anything. There were like 20 people trying to climb this thing. Everybody turned back with their guides except us. Cause it's like, nope, this is the only time we're going to do this. Like, I don't care if we can see anything. Let's just get to the top and call it quits. So we did it and uh, just kind of fell in love with it. Like just couldn't stop climbing mountains after that. Like there were just so many to choose from. They're all beautiful. And um, man, it, it was, it was awesome. Trekking is kind of the way I like to see the world. So wait, so is climbing mountains? That's not actually like, is that like cliff? Like, uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I don't have that skill set at all. It, it's more like mountaineering, like a really intense hike, but, um, you're wearing like crampons with ice axes and things like that. Just yeah. you fall, but it's not in your rope together. And you know, people do fall and they slide a little bit and you catch them, but it's not like vertical cliffs or anything. I'm not, I'm not a great, but, but that's, but that's, but that still takes a lot of endurance and, 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 and yeah. And, and man, 18,000 feet's no joke. Yeah. Like you don't really know what elevation is until you get that high. And it's every step is a struggle. And you're just like, gee, like felt like you're running a marathon nonstop. Like so super- what was, so, so you, you fell in love with the, the mountaineering trekking, uh, whatever, how it's de- whatever you deem it and all that. And, and then it brought you over. So our mutual uh, friend mentioned that you also uh, went, flew over to where? Nepal. Nepal. Yeah. Over in Nepal. So yeah, so when when I left South America, I found a job um, uh, working two weeks on, two weeks off in the oil field again, and um, I was changing schedules with someone. And the way it worked, I actually ended up with three weeks off instead of the two. So it's like, well, with three weeks off, like I got to make the most of this. I got to go somewhere far, like somewhere hard to get to, you know. Well, real quick, real quick, before you get into the story, what, how was that adjustment? I guess spending six weeks, you know, kind of you know surviving, meeting all these people, thriving, all that stuff to suddenly going back and sitting the rigs like you, like you did previously. And well, I, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I actually thought I was going to get out of the oil and gas industry and I'd been back one week. I hadn't even started looking for jobs. I was just enjoying my time with my family. It was around Thanksgiving. Like I said, it was actually in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I was at a bar and it was a Sunday and I was just hanging out with some friends I hadn't seen forever. We were, you know, having a brunch or whatever. And friend of a friend was at the bar and I was just kind of telling him my stories and my experience and everything. And he was like, Hey, you know, there's a company that I work for and, uh, they're starting this new division. Like, I think you'd actually be perfect for it. If you want to shoot me a resume, I'm like, yeah. And, uh, within like two weeks, had an interview, got the job and that, that was it. That was how long it took. Were you, were you, were you, were you happy to go back in, uh, in the, in the workforce, if you'd call it? Yeah, I was, it wasn't so much. We were spending a lot of money. I think the whole trip, the six months with the loss on the van and everything, cost me about $18,000, which really wasn't that bad. It was especially with like yeah. stakes, everything we wanted to do. Um, but at the same time, I wasn't making money for that whole time. Yeah. You know, And by that point, it was like almost a year that I'd been out of work. So it's like, all right, I need to actually start making money. Right. And, um, so I, I was pretty ready to go back. And uh, I actually wasn't sitting on rigs. I was two weeks on, two weeks off in the office. It was like the ultimate like luxury, perfect dream job. Just going to the office every day for two weeks and then two weeks off. Like okay. nothing, nothing. It was, it was perfect. And I, I got to keep traveling, which was in my blood. Now it's like, all right, I got to, every two weeks I'm going somewhere, you know, every, I had 13 international plane tickets that first year back, just always on the move, God. but yeah, no, it, but, but anyways, so I was switching schedules with this guy and uh, I had three weeks off and it was January. 
So, and that, that's an important part of the story because it's cold. And I was like, well, I can go to Nepal and I can go see Mount Everest, but it's January. Like that's gotta be the worst time to go see Mount Everest. And um, I start messaging all these people in uh, Nepal, like all these climbing guides and everything. It's like, hey, like I, I just wanna go see Everest. Like, can I go see this thing? And everyone's like, man, we don't do that in the wintertime. Like it's pretty miserable, but you know, no, I'm gonna have to pass. And finally I found this guy who had actually climbed Everest a couple of times. And um, well, actually I didn't find him. I found like his agent and he was like, yeah, I got a guy that can take you. And I'm like, okay. And then they started like talking me into this climb that you can do right next to Everest. Like it gets you over 20,000 feet, like just beautiful mountain. And I was like, yeah, I'm really into that. Like, I, I really want to try it. It's like, okay, perfect. So I go over there, land in Nepal and man, I'd never been, that's completely different than South America. Just landing in Kathmandu, just people everywhere. And just, it's very similar to what I imagine India is like. And uh, I was kind of prepared for it, but great culture, really good people. The guy picked me up from the airport, introduced me to the guide and the guy didn't speak any English whatsoever. And I was like, man, I'm about to hike all the way to Mount Everest with this guy. I don't speak any Nepalese. Like there's no one around. Like it's just gonna be him and me just walking for weeks together. I was like, yeah, but well, I'm here, you know, like screw yeah. it. Let's do this thing. So we fly out to go to this uh, small little town called Lukla, really cool airport on the side of a mountain. If you ever get a chance, go look it up. Look it up. It's called Lukla. And um, anyways, we land there and then we start our hike and we uh, hike all the way to Mount Everest. And there she is, just beautiful as could be. But you can actually only see the tip because the number like three and four tallest mountains in the world are like in front of you. And um, by this time, you know, we've been hiking a long time, acclimating as we went, where he's like, okay, like, let's do this. We're, we're going to go do this climb now. And I was like, shit, you know, it's cold. Yeah, that, that airport, that's the one. All right. So for those that are looking, uh, hopefully the cam camera transfers over to me. This is, that's got to be a uh, pretty. Just a cliff. When, yeah. So if you're, at the, if you're at the back of a runway and you're watching the planes take off, when they leave the runway, they disappear because they actually fall. They drop. Yeah. Oh Runway's God. not long enough to get enough speed to actually just take off. They fall first. You got to free fall a little bit before you. Okay. So, okay. All right. Okay. I'm looking at this now. That's pretty, pretty intense. Okay. Yeah. I think it's actually called the deadliest airport in the world. I think like more plane crashes have happened there than anywhere in the world or something. So, well, if the majority, if the strategy of getting the planes off the ground is having them fall for a little bit, right. hopefully they, yeah, I can understand why it probably gets that title. Well, I think it's actually the landing because behind where that photo was taken is a mountain. So if you're coming in hot, you're not going to just pick back up and keep flying. There's a mountain in front of you. You're well, just... I, saw, I saw a lot of mountains, a lot of shops too, like on the side of the mountain. Oh yeah. You, you are stopping one way or the other <laughs> or you were crashing. So it's either you drop or you crash. Okay. Yep. So for people that don't have phobias of flying, this is one place to go and, and uh, resolve those phobias. Yeah. But man, it, it was, it was awesome. I mean, Nepal in itself is just beautiful. The hike itself was beautiful. Seeing Everest was great. And it's cold. I mean, there's no heating, no nothing the whole way through. You're sleeping in sleeping bags. I mean, there's little like villages that have rooms that you can sleep in, but it's cold. I mean, everything's frozen. They have toilets for the peak season for like Westerners that want to come, but all the water in the bowls are frozen. So you're going outside. I mean, it, it's you're you're literally actually collecting yak shit to bring into the house and burn. It's yeah. like the only thing around that's flammable. And that's how we're keeping warm. We're just burning that, um, trying to keep warm at night. But anyways, the, the time of the climb came. And uh, we started at like two, three o'clock in the morning, something like that, just because um, how long it was going to take us. We didn't want to be descending. Uh, it, it was a little easier to ascend in the dark than it was to descend in the dark. Okay. So we start climbing this thing and it is cold, man. It's like 
minus 20 degrees or something, pretty windy actually. And we get up onto the glacier pretty high. I, I'm, I finally hit 20,000 feet. That was kind of my goal. I wanted to get 20,000 feet high. And I get there and the sun's starting to come up and we're looking at the top of the mountain and I can see it. I'm like 300 feet away from the top to summiting this thing. And there's just wind blowing over the backside of the mountain towards us. So it's not really hitting me, but you can see it just whipping across this ridge that we have to get up onto to go to, to summit. And I remember my guy just looking at me and he's looking at that. And he just, he did, hadn't said a word to me this whole time other than like, you know, food, eat, sleep, whatever. And he just <laughs> looked at me and he's like, you want die? I'm like, and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, no, I don't want die. Like, <laughs> let's go. Let's get the hell out of here. Like I, I'm done with this. And I had gotten like a little frostbite on my nose and I, which I didn't know at the time. I only found when I got down, it was all blistered and really pretty rough. Yeah. And even now when it gets cold, I, uh, I still get a little like tingly feeling on the tip of my nose where it happened. It wasn't bad. I mean, it was just like dead skin right here on the tip of my nose, but, and I had a full face shield on and everything like it was so, cool. so going over there. I mean, I guess for people that, you know, that are into mountaineering and are trekking, I mean, seeing that, I mean, seeing actual Mount Everest, I mean, the, that's the problem with famous mountain out there, the highest, you know, deadliest mountain out there. I mean, what was that like for you? It was just kind of like a, like my, I mean, what was that? What was that? You know, oddly enough, it, when I was in South America, I had met a girl that said she had done it and I'd never even thought about going to see it. And the second she said that, I was like, yeah, well, why not? Like, why can't I just go to base camp and see Mount Everest? You know, that that's such, it's so simple. Like, why would I not go do that? And so I, I, that stuck with me. And then years later, it's like, all right, yeah, I'm going to go see it because I got the time. And um, man, it, it for anyone that gets opportunity, the hike, like I said, is incredible. Did you, you know, do that by yourself? Uh, yeah, I was just there by myself, but along the way with my guide, obviously, but um, along the way, you stop in all these little villages and stuff and just really great people happy to see you. And um, man, it was, it was a really good experience. Dude, Colton, I love, first off, I think we're coming up on time right now. And I, I honestly, I could probably sit here for another hour and a half, three hours, listen, trade stories and all that stuff. But I love how you just kind of like look at things and uh, why not? You know, like, yeah, why not? I mean, you got one life. I'm going to go, I'm going to go figure it out. I'm going to go live. I'm going to see this. I mean, why not? You know, I, I so this, this COVID quarantine stuff has kind of hampered, uh, put a damper on your uh, uh, traveling plans. Yeah. I know we're running out of time. Long story short. So my wife is actually Brazilian. And um, we, we had a lot of plans last year to go see Brazil, you know, her family. And I've been to Brazil plenty of times, but you're right. I mean, I had, you know, $5,000 worth of plane tickets that I have all credited now because last year and this year just had to cancel everything, you know. So it's, it's been a bummer. But um, like I said, still stay in touch with pretty much everyone I've, I've met along the way. And uh, I'll get back out there at some point. Well, besides Brazil, what's the, what, what are the top three places that you'd like to uh, go that you haven't been to yet? Everyone to go that I haven't been to yet. And why? Yes. Okay. Uh, I'd like to go to the Philippines just cause you know, I've been to Thailand, done some other stuff in Southeast Asia and um, you know, fell in love with the beaches, just the weather, the people like I've heard Southeast Asia is legit. It, it is awesome. So I got scuba certified out there. Like it's beautiful diving. Like I, I'd like to go do that. And then um, honestly, I, I haven't really thought about it too much. It's, it's something my wife and I would have to agree on where, we, where we'd want to go because a lot of the places I enjoyed in South America, I know she'd hate. Like Bolivia was awesome from an experience standpoint. Everything was difficult though. And I don't know if she would have enjoyed it too much. Nepal was difficult, but um, no, we'll, we'll find something to do together. Her and I, we've only just now started just going. So on. you, you kind of like getting off the beaten path when you travel, you don't like doing these tourist destinations. You kind of like finding the, 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 the villages and kind of where the locals go. 
Oh yeah. I mean, tours exist for a reason, right? There's some things that like Machu Picchu is incredible. Like it's very touristy, but you got to see it. It's beautiful. And salt flats, beautiful. But there's other things that you go out and see it yourself. And it's like, man, if I didn't have Juan Sanchez here, I never would have, never would have seen this waterfall. I never would have seen this mountain, like just whatever it is, you know, never would have seen this town. So How's Juan Sanchez doing? Have you got, when's, when's the last uh, proof of life? It's been about two years since I talked to that guy. So I, I don't actually know, but it would not surprise me if Juan Sanchez was retired. <laughs> well, Juan Sanchez, if you're out there, uh, you've done a lot of uh, good in people's lives out there. You've connected a lot of people and uh, not kept people. We miss you, Juan Sanchez. We'd like to, we'd like to get you an, uh, we'd like to get an update on you if you're listening out there. Yeah, actually, you know, you showed a photo onto the camera. I'm going to have to do the same before we get off here. I can pull it up on the phone real quick. Just keep talking so the camera stays on recording you if you show it. Oh, I got you. Yeah, let me, uh, I've got it in my favorites. I've got a photo of Juan Sanchez, and it's probably nothing like you were thinking. Here it is. All right. Let's see this. Stop. Oh my God. Yes. So the top popped open, as you can see. So you could sleep two up top, two down low, had a stove. Hold on a second. Hold that up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to get a screenshot of this. This is perfect. Hold on a second. Oh, got it. Perfect. I mean, it's, it's way cooler than you were expecting. Well, I'm first gonna- off, that's, that's legit. All right. Oh, oh yeah. We were climbing mountains in this thing. It was legit. That's awesome. Well, man, I, I, do you have anything else you want to bring up? Well, I know Isaac's going to be disappointed, our mutual friend, because I didn't tell my bathroom story. But uh, tell your bathroom story, man. It's it's Friday afternoon, baby. We got nothing going on right now. I will, we'll we'll end on a on a safety moment since we're all in the oil and gas industry. All right. Good for you. So working in Abu Dhabi, it uh, it's no secret. It gets hot, very very hot, and um, it was like 120 degrees. It was in August, and you do not go to the bathroom unless it is an absolute emergency because it's just a porta potty sitting out on the sand. And um, this was one of those emergencies. So I go inside and it's just a hole in the ground. Like it's yeah. not like a traditional porta potty like you're expecting. You go inside, shut the door, there's a hole in the ground and there's a hose. There's no toilet yeah. paper. You use the hose to kind of clean yourself off. So um, I go in this thing, I do my business and it's like, all right, time to get out of here. I go and try and work the handle real quick and the handle is not budging. And it's like, okay, I have zero patience. It's like 140 degrees in the in the porta potty itself. Are you are you are you a hold the breather in the porta potty type of guy? Hold, hold the breather. Yeah. No. Oh no no no. You try to no well, get out real quick. You've got a you got a hole in the ground that you're squatting over, right? So like you're burning calories. You're you're in squat position. It's like doing need oxygen. I got to be breathing pretty hard. Actually, I'm doing the opposite. I'm coming out of there out of breath. But anyways, so I'm like I'm zero patience. So I kick the door open real quick, and uh, when I do that, the handle flies off, lands in the hole. So that's gone forever. There's no retrieving the handle. And then on the outside, it falls off as well. So now there's just a hole in the door and the lock is like pegged in the porta potty. So there's no way to like grab it or get out. And um, during this time, like we were about to take a survey and I was an MWD working and they needed me to verify the survey. So the rig is looking for me and they're like, I can hear them over the speakers like, hey, MWD, where are you? Like, come on. And uh, I'm yelling for help through this hole because it's hot. And by this time, I've already got the hose on and I'm just hosing my whole body down, like on my head and everything, just trying to stay cool. I'm not surviving, I'm not dying in a porta potty. All right. And so, um, anyway, someone finally finds me and they had to get like the rig mechanic to come and actually cut out the door just because it was so like severely locked and everything. So I come out just like soaking wet. My clothes are off. Like I'm, I'm in my boxers and my steel toes just because 
I, yeah. you know, I'm not going to die in this. Like I have no shame at this point. Like this is not how I'm getting sent back home to my mom. And, um, anyway, so it was a big deal. Cause there was like MPT on this, that they had to charge to somebody, which was my company because I was locked to the porta potty. So my boss is messaging me. He's like, what is this? Like, you know, our MPT that we got to pay for or whatever. And so I, there was no sympathy for me whatsoever being in this really hot porta potty. I'm like, man, this was like a big deal. So I had to fill out like this uh, safety report and it went viral through the company. People were messaging me like, do you know this guy? And I was like, that was me. I was the guy <laughs> And then you had to put like, you know, corrective actions and all this other stuff. And I think my like ultimate corrective action was like, I need to exercise more patience when I'm in the bathroom. <laughs> but um, no, it was, it's funny now, but at the time, man, it was no joke. Like that was, that was a, a hotness I'd never you know what? You know what? You know what? At the, at the end of the day, you're exactly right. You know, who's going to pay for this hour? Man, I could have, I could have died in the shit. I could have died in the porta potty, hosing myself off in my steel toes. All right, that's not, that's not and, something. And these porta potties are disgusting. You know? Oh, not, believe me. I, yeah, I know. And I had already like put my hands on the sides trying oh. to make open, and I, I get it's amazing what you do when you're trying to survive. But uh, yeah, that's that's the porta potty story. So what, so what was the lessons learned besides patience? Honestly, I didn't really have much out of that one. What are you going to do? You're in the porta potty. I, I guess porta potty, that sounds dangerous. I love how they're calling you. They're like, no, like, come find me. Somebody yeah. can find me. Buddy system when going to the bathroom. Yeah, where's your accountability buddy? Exactly. exactly. Well, man, uh, Colton, I appreciate you coming on, man. Everyone, this is, uh, again, Colton uh, Bingham and uh, drilling engineer over to Devin. And, uh, man, I love hearing your stories. I love hearing your outlook and how you're just like, yeah, man, I'll just go by, by myself and just see it. Just, did you meet your wife in Brazil or did you meet her uh, stateside? I actually met her stateside. She was traveling up here, and I was still doing the two weeks on, two weeks off. And I was just – she was working a ski season. And I was just, hey, I'm going to get better at skiing every because I didn't grow up with the snow. So it's like, I'm just going to commit, get better. And I just was going out to Utah every two weeks and she was out there working and the rest is history. That's how, that's how it happened. I love that, man. I love that. Well, I, I, again, if I ever make it up to Oklahoma, where are you, Oklahoma City? Oklahoma City. I ever make it up there, man. I want to, I'll definitely swing by and have a bourbon with you or something like yep. that and, and, and chat a little bit more. I really enjoy this, man. I love hearing your stories. I think Isaac's right. You're definitely, you got some great stories some great travel stories and we could probably spend a lot more time on it. But uh, until then, I guess you have to wait for a uh, round two, everyone out there listening, because I'd love to have you back on again, if you don't mind. Hopefully I have some more stories by then. We'll see if this pandemic passes over. Oh, I know. I know. Hopefully fingers crossed everyone again. Thank you for uh, tuning into round the rotary and uh, thank you, man. I appreciate you uh, taking the time and, uh, and just sitting here on a Friday afternoon and uh, talking to me and kind of giving a, a nice breather away from uh, industry uh, news and activity and, oh, yeah. uh, give, and give us some, uh, give us some good times. So yeah, sure. I, I appreciate it, man. And uh, looking forward to talking to you next. All right. Take care. All right.